It's Dallas week, baby. And with that, we, of course, welcome you back into a fresh episode of OGP with myself, Adam Armbrecht, and as always, joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise, Mr. Andy Makowitz. I tell you, man, this, of course, is first divisional matchup for the Giants. So in spite of what's been a a difficult road to start the season, you can still get the blood bubbling. You can still start to feel that good old fashioned. I hope we can get into a grudge match. I I mean, if we're not going to make the playoffs or things are looking bleak, you can always feel just a little bit better if you can beat the Dallas Cowboys. You better believe it. So we... (laughs) We have optimism in spite of it all, man. And I know it feels like, and everybody knows this from listening to me on here. I I spiral. I I rally. I go into pits of despair. I soar with the Eagles. I have no control over my body and the emotional state around the New York football giants. But right now in this moment, I'm feeling pretty great. And, And that's why it's exciting to talk about what some of the latest news and notes are around big blue. As we talk about week five. On quickly before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this bad boy, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, from a practice standpoint, you had uh, Jabril Peppers back, Colbert, uh, Colbert, sorry, Colbert, Stephen Colbert in the late show. Uh, he joined in the Giants, need some help at safety. He had some play at college, I believe. But no, Peppers, Colbert, and Fackrell all participated, limited in practice. And then Oshane Eximenez was out for practice. Doesn't mean he's out this week, but did not participate uh, in practice on Thursday either. So a couple of notes there on the defensive side of the ball where we know we're trying to get ourselves healthy at a couple of key spots. Yeah, it doesn't sound like very promising for the X-Man usually later on in the week just not you know not being limited is is a real challenge um Colbert is an interesting one because he came in and he played quite a few different uh looks and and snaps for us it would hurt to not have him uh, especially given that Peppers is still kind of kind of hobbled on his end yeah certainly and he looked pretty good and made it easier to to take Julian Love out of maybe a pressure situation and use him more on occasion situational ball for him uh reinforcements on the defensive side as well does any does anything come to mind here when I talk about helping solidify that defensive unit a name from the past what what bubbles to the surface for you uh LT Lawrence Taylor is he Uh walking through the door anytime sorry Should have gone a little bit more specific. We're going more uh, a reasonable, pretty consistent player. We're not going legends. We're not going all-time Giants greats coming out of retirement. Wait, got it. Antonio Pierce. Okay. I, I meant uh, not necessarily guys that have been consistent for a number of years and contributed to Super Bowls. More just maybe a guy that was on the roster, had a solid season, and then was was on injury. Uh, could it be David Mayo? hey It's not ketchup. It's not relish, friends. It is... Mr. Mayo, he is officially activated by the Giants. So what that means is he doesn't have to play. Don't don't expect him to necessarily get into the game over the next couple of weeks, but it means that they have 21 days to officially play him in a game. Otherwise, you know, that's off of IR and what you need to do in order to get him into active roster. Otherwise, he may kick back and we could not see him at all this year. So hopefully over the next couple of weeks, he gets his legs underneath him. And that's actually relatively important when you think about it, because, uh, you know, when you look at the linebacking core, obviously that blend of veteran and young, we really love what we've seen from Martinez. And I actually think that having a guy like Mayo is a great supplemental piece because 
you know what he is. You know what he does for you. And you can trust him to go make plays in very uh, selective spots, right? You can say, hey, listen, get out there on this specific down. Go get do this thing. Go tackle the runner and, and feel like you can trust him. So that's just it's good to have more of that on this defense. Who would have thought that our linebacking core would be one of our strengths extremely deep. We have, we have so many linebackers that Mayo coming back helps, but it's not like critical at this moment, just because of how well people like Blake Martinez is playing, you know, on the inside and Fackrell already has a couple of sacks. I know he's dinged up, but it is, it is, it speaks volumes to the depth that we have at that position where, you know, Mayo can be a rotational player and, and, you know, be able to help this team. Unfortunately, uh, when you think about X-Men being out and then you even think about a Marcus Golden, we haven't necessarily seen the same return at certain spe- certain positions there on the linebacking core that we might want to see. So always areas for improvement. Last but not least, the footnote, it was mentioned, speculated that maybe not right now in this moment, but the New York football giants had considered bringing back in Prince Amukamara. This is a name that was talked about a lot as the secondary has dealt with its injuries, dealt with departures, both on and off the field issues, uh, playing their role there. Just uh, what, what's your quick take on the idea of him being a part of this group and maybe being another veteran presence? Well, I, I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, listen, it didn't end terribly with him. It's not an Eli Apple situation where, um, it, it was just distractions. He was considered lazy. You know, it, it's, it's definitely not that situation. It, you know, the challenge is that there is interest in Prince Mukamara around the league. I know as of yesterday, uh, Prince was set to visit the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so that was the next step in line. Now, Freeman who went in for a visit with the Eagles and left without a contract, but, uh, you know, if they're bringing him this late in the game, a veteran, it, it, it's likely that they're going to potentially sign him. But w- wouldn't be mad at it, especially because we need to just try anything at the cornerback position opposite of Bradbury, because whatever we've been doing hasn't been working so far. Yeah, and this is an interesting one for me, because as we've said over the course of the season, the offseason, veteran versus young, right? You know, rebuilding this roster. Uh, we mentioned him last week. They brought in Harper, didn't see, uh, you know, the field here in his first week. You saw some other guys like Ryan Lewis step up and play pretty well. I, I'm a little bit torn, not necessarily Prince of Mukamara, but in general about bringing an older veteran cornerback that, relatively speaking, I know visually it may look better uh, on paper and you may may feel better on Sunday for stretches, but I think the deficiencies of a 30, 31 year old, 32 year old Prince of Mucamara in the big spots, when you need to cover a guy deep, right? When you need to extend your coverage on someone is going to be relatively equal to to, to taking a chance on some of these other younger players. So we'll see if anything comes of it. I I don't think that they will. And at the very least, you're going to get another week here to try to see more from Lewis who looked good last week get a taste of Harper and see if maybe we're finding some blend here in combination. So we'll wait and see on that. Obviously the return to Zamunda. That's what I want to get out there. I just wanted to get out of coming to America reference and I couldn't quite blend it before we started. I found it in the, in the waning moments. All you got to do is just shout it out at the end, Adam. That's right. And I will now the meat of it all Dallas Cowboys week five matchup. As we said, listen, we're Owen four. But, Andy, how far behind are we from the Dallas Cowboys, a perennial playoff team with aspirations of, of deep playoff runs and even possible Super Bowl contention? We must, be, we must be six games out, even though that's impossible. The Cowboys are 
an onside kick away from being 0-4. They should be 0-4. They are a dumpster fire. And it, it's it's why, no matter what, you always get amped up to play the Dallas Cowboys. But yes, when the sir. Dallas Cowboys are reeling and scrambling and shouting and you know not doing things well in the media and everyone's pouring on them, it, it's just this perfect opportunity for the New York Giants to go in and like just make this thing carnage inside of Jerry World. You better believe it, man. The idea of now, listen, there's there's areas that things don't line up necessarily great for us, and that's okay. There, there most weeks there's things that don't line up great for us. But the fact that Dallas has been in this bit of a state of turmoil in the first four weeks of this season is about as juicy as it gets because it means that even if we lose we could somehow still win this weekend. You know, we can somehow still come out feeling really good based on what happens to to Dallas and based on even what's been happening before we get to the matchup on Sunday. Andy, talk to me about on the defensive side of the ball for for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, he had a bit of a take. I I thought that it was strong and I thought that it communicates a a level of desire to get support from this this fan base. Well, what's interesting is we have the right Lawrence in this one. Dexter Lawrence is on the New York Giants, but Demarcus Lawrence, on the other hand, for was there the any Dal- was there any chance that I was going to get that out without? No, doing there that? was yeah. there was zero. I, I was know. fully prepared for that. So, um, I, I almost just <laughs> I almost just said Dexter Lawrence again as I retrained my thoughts. So, th- thanks for that, Adam. Uh, you know, D- Demarcus Lawrence, uh, you know the All Pro uh, previously, you know, Pro Bowler. Defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys basically came out when fans were critical of the defense and said, go F yourself basically to all of the Dallas fans. And when you sign a contract after having some, you know, your big statistical years, and then you play an entire season and you have half the production that you did before you signed the contract. And then you play four games this year and you don't have a single sack, and I think you have 11 tackles with three assisted tackles, you know, th- it's always the right thing to do is to turn it around on the fans that pay money to come see you play and buy your jersey and tell them to go pound sand and curse and yell and scream at them. I, I mean, it, it, that's gotta be, it's got to be in the handbook somewhere, right? The, well, it's, it might be in the Jerry Jones handbook. I mean, that guy's got a book that he wrote himself, and he's following. he is following his own guidelines to the T. Listen, I think that, uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, when you're a team that has big expectations like Dallas, I can, under, I can understand being frustrated if you are that team right now. But I don't know. It's like being a kid, right? What are your parents? Don't lash out at everybody else. If you made a mistake, just own your mistake and say that, boy, I feel terrible that we're not getting, you know, we're not playing better. We're not getting more wins. Or I feel terrible that I kick sand in Susie's eyes. I'm going to go apologize. Instead, basically, Demarcus is going over and being like, yeah, and here's a mouthful of dirt too. Like, it's just, it's such an interesting choice after, again, after a week, after a game where Dallas is probably pretty frustrated internally and they're just spitting fire all around, all around them for anyone that wants it. You stink as a defense. You have to take the criticism as it comes to you. You can't turn it around and then double down and get defensive. It's funny because he's putting up more defense against the fans on social media than he is on the field on Sundays, which is ridiculous. They gave up almost a 50 burger to the Cleveland Browns. They gave up 
300 yards on the ground. They were a sieve on defense, and the yeah. fans are upset. Demarcus Lawrence has zero sacks. He is a sack specialist. He had 15 sacks. He had uh, 10 or 11 sacks, then got paid his big contract. In 20-something games since then, he's at five. Like, you, this is all fair criticism that you need to take. If if you're three and one and the, and the offense is carrying you, it's like, listen, we're going to turn it around. We got this. It's okay. You're one and three. That fan base has every right to be pissed off. And for you to come out there and then turn it back on them, like it's some affront to you as, <laughs> as a human being, is ludicrous. I And, oh, and that's so what makes the Dallas Cowboys so perfect is like, he belongs as a Dallas Cowboy making $20 million, yelling at the fans, mailing it in. I love it. I love every second of it. Now, listen, the good news is for Dallas, for the defense, is that cooler heads prevail. When you get in front of that microphone, listen, one of your teammates may pop a top. He may go off a little bit. And that's when you need someone to step in, settle things down. And communicate back to the people how, listen, we are high-motor guys. We are putting in the effort on a down-to-down, play-to-play basis. Enter Xavier Woods, who I think essentially is saying, I give 100% most of the time. I'm not going to go full speed every play. The direct quote, I, I believe, is, Nobody expects a guy in the NFL to play all 70 plays in a game. (laughs) Come on. Come on, friends. He says, this is the NFL. You know, you can't expect us to go full on for 70 snaps. You just can't do it. And, you know, I've heard a lot of different takes on this one. And it's funny because when I heard it, I did the same thing that a lot of other people did. I'm like, well, that's crazy. That's insane for him to say as a professional athlete. And then I'm like, well, maybe people in the biz are going to come back and be like, listen, that's how it works. Like you, you kind of take plays off, you sneak yourself in, you get a little rep, like resoundingly former NFL players in the media are like, this guy has literally lost his mind. Like, like, and, and then he was talking about, he went on to say like, listen, if you're the weak side cornerback and the play goes to the other side, like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to like just trot over there just for the hell of it. And the most, and the most ironic thing about all this, Adam, is (laughs) this all got brought up because of the Odell Beckham touchdown late in the game against the Cowboys, where it was a reverse play, which means the action is going to the strong side and they switch it up. It go, the play then sweeps around and bubbles around to the weak side cornerback. So he's basically saying, like, yeah, if I'm the weak side, I'm going to probably just mail it in. That's the play they scored a touchdown on. Like, that is why people are upset. You are actually talking about the problem. And every single former player is like, this guy's an idiot. This is ridiculous. You can't say this out loud. Yes, maybe you're tired and, and, you're, and you're trying to get to there, but you just don't have the energy to do it. Or, you know, maybe you're at, at the back of the pile and someone else has them wrapped up and you're, and you're right there just kind of protecting. But to actually come out and say, like, I know I'm I'm an athlete, but, like, I'm just not going to play hard. Like, that is the most tone-deaf thing you can say to a fan base that sees you giving up 50 points a game, right? You know who's played 100% of the snaps for the New York football Giants in the secondary? Who's that? James Bradbury. Listen, 
And I'm not going to sit here and tell you what, you know, what goes on on a play to play basis in his mind and where things are going. But to your point, you just listen. And, and, and the biggest one is about that reverse for Beckham. Like, no, you don't have to be going high motor, a hundred miles an hour on every play, but mentally you got to be checked into the game. Mentally, you got to know, Hey, there's potential. My job is to, at the very least, trot my way down towards the weak side of this play on the back end of it, just in case so that I'm physically present and able to be there. So, so it's it's obviously fun for us. I don't think it feels great for for Dallas fans right right now. Well, I, I was listening to Brandon Marshall uh, on his morning show talk, and and he said something that I thought was Marsh, uh, friend of the podcast. Yeah, a friend of the show, right? Yeah. Um, it, you know, he basically said when you go in these coaching meetings, there's three things that that they look at. One is assignment. Who are you assigned to if, if the play starts to move? The second thing is alignment. Are you in the right positions in this if we're playing man or zone? Because you're not just in a vacuum in all this. And mm-hmm. the third thing is effort. So, like, if you're not giving effort <laughs> on every play, how do you know whether or not the alignment was off or he missed the assignment? Like, you, you just you got to go hard on every play so that when they turn on the film, you can't just look at every play that you didn't do well and be like, well, yeah, I kind of mailed it in there. Or like, yeah, I didn't do this. Like, how do you evaluate talent if they're not trying their best on every play? That's actually a great point, right? Because in terms of the scheme, and if you're Dallas and you're playing poorly on defense, you're trying to get in the film room and say, hey, where are the mistakes? How do we clean this up? If Ro- if Woods, excuse me, if you're supposed to be there on the back side of that play to break up the end around from Beckham, then that's a big success. The scheme worked, right? We even though they tried to pull a tricky a tricky play on us, we were there in the right spot. We blew that up. That means that we can hang our hat on that going forward. Instead, you say, well, I don't uh, now I know maybe you weren't bothering to be there. And I also, but I don't know what the result was going to be. Had you been there, were you going to get blown up by a block? Were they going to have, you know, blockers out in front there? What was that going to look like if you play it out at full speed? The, the craziest part about it, and it's just that one play that everyone's thinking about because it was the backbreaking play for the Cowboys. But mm. the defensive lineman made Odell Beckham bubble the reverse 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So he's starting right. that play 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. The defensive lineman did what he was supposed to do. He just needs help from the other players to then be in position to make a play. And if you look at it, you look at Jalen Smith just jogging around. And, uh, you know, friend of the podcast, David Hunter, huge Cowboy fan. He came out and he was like, first thing I do is I sit down Jalen Smith. He's like, the guy is over aggressive. He's going through his assignments because he's just trying to run to wherever he thinks the ball is going to be. And it's crippling this defense. And, and, and like, he's giving too much effort. You got Xavier Rhodes. That's like, I'm playing half the snaps. You have DeMarcus Lawrence saying like, buzz off. I don't care what you guys think. And it's like, what is happening? And all of this just makes me so happy Adam. Like it, it really, it really does. Like I get great joy in seeing that the defense is an absolute dumpster fire right now. It's a thing of beauty. Anytime the Jerry world is in turmoil, I, I feel a little bit better and it helps to create what we call a silver lining to what's been a difficult start to our season. All right. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Now, as we do think about this from the Giants perspective, one of the things I'll say coming off of this Thursday night game between uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears, I uh, tweeted this out last night where all at one point in the game, they, they showed how many penalties Tampa Bay had accrued, and that was 10. And I just said casually, listen, and this, and this, and this we, we understand we're, we're hanging our hat on some, on some thin hooks right now these days, but that would take the Giants 
two and a half games to accrue that same number of penalties. We're playing really clean football, and I love it. And I was also immediately frustrated by the fact that in spite of in spite of having 10 penalties for almost 120 yards, Tampa Bay, they lost that game. And by the way, you can look at those penalties and say, this could be a great reason why we lost this game. But they're committing all those penalties. Now they are three and two, but still winning football games. And I just I I would love to see the Giants start to get rewarded for being committed, playing clean football, not making dumb comments in the press, staying connected. Like they're doing, they're doing so many great things from the rebuilding process under Joe judge. And I just feel like, Hey, we got to at least ring that bell a couple of times and feel good about the things that we are doing well. Well, it's, 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 you know, a blessing and a curse, right? The giants are playing smart ball, but it's not, it's not leading to anything. Like it would almost be like, okay, penalties. We are shooting ourselves in the foot. If we clean that up, we can move the ball down the field, but that's not the case. And, and that kind of bleeds into what our offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett is, is trying to figure out, you know, it, it's one of those things where if it's all about penalties, it's easy to say, if we clean these up, if we put in the right technique, we know where we need to go as a team. Yeah. You know, Jason Garrett came out after four games and said, yeah, we're still trying to figure out what works for us <laughs> on offense. Right. And, and I, I saw this and I got angry because I I, I kind of took what he said and ran with it further in, into what he actually meant. You've kind of tried to pull me back in a little bit, but tell me what your thoughts are on Jason Garrett saying he's still trying to figure out what works for the offense. Yeah, I mean, listen, maybe not dissimilar, dissimilarly to what we're talking about, the Dallas side of things, the way that you communicate something to the press when, when you're talking about a specific area of the game. When I look at Jason Garrett, what I, what I really think you're hearing is, you know, I've got Nick Gates, a player that I've watched film on, but not at center. So I'm still learning what he's best suited to do at that particular position. I'm still now looking in the absence of Saquon Barkley and bringing in Devontae Freeman. Okay, now I have Gallman, I have Freeman, I have Lewis. What is our best way to attack using this rotational back system? Something we didn't plan on coming into the year. I don't have Sterling Shepard. I'm trying to figure out how do we create separation for our wide receivers, an area that we've struggled in. And on top of which, I'm also looking at Evan Ingram and what a lot of Giants fans probably know coming into it and saying, well, on paper, on tape, I see a guy that's a freak athlete and a, and a mismatch and a nightmare for defenses. But if he's not going to catch the ball, if he's not going to be able to be productive, if he can't contribute in the blocking game, all of a sudden it diminishes the value of this great piece that I had. So for better or worse, Jason Garrett, I think, is really going through the growing pains of, of learning what players are best suited to do. And then collectively, don't forget. Rookie left tackle as well. So you're still trying to also figure out how are we utilizing this offensive line unit and creating opportunities, not just for receivers, for running backs, but also for Daniel Jones, which extends to him being able to be mobile and get out of the pocket. So I, I think there's a lot of factors that, that Garrett's alluding to there. And I understand the idea of don't don't say it in the way that makes it sound like you don't know what's going on. And that's, that's the way it comes across. Well, and, and that's what makes me so Adam uh, adamant about this. Being it does like, make you so Adam. We're it, also, it, Adam. I know, but it, it makes me so angry too. And like you explained what he probably meant. And I totally get that. But the way that I take it as a fan and someone that really follows this team closely mm -hmm. is like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I, I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I, I, and, and like, Going into the Dallas game, it feels like we don't even have a plan because he's like, I don't know what works for this team. So 
we're still a work in like it's one thing to say you're a work in progress it's another thing to say like i still haven't figured out any way to be successful which we already knew jason garrett because you're scoring 11 points a game like you don't need to come out and say like i don't have a clue how this team works like we already saw it on paper the stats don't lie you don't need to tell me you know you don't need to rub my nose in it like i'm a dog that accidentally peed on the carpet like i clearly understand this it's it's baffling to me and like it, it, what the other frustrating piece of it is, and and maybe he is trying to make adjustments. I don't see those adjustments. We don't run enough motion on offense. We are one of the least uh, least pre snap motion teams in the entire league. We also don't run zone reads for Daniel Jones at all. Mentioned it on the last podcast. We run the ball on first down, up the gut for two yards every time. And this is something that Cowboy fans. We're so angry at Jason Garrett for mm-hmm. he is like a robot. He is a robot. When things start going awry, he has trouble getting creative and starting to pivot. And that was one of the big problems that Dallas had. Now they're stuck with Mike McCarthy for better or for worse, you know, and, and Jason Garrett is beloved by the players that play for him. Mm-hmm. But man, is it frustrating when he says, I still don't know what works. And we're like, yeah, we know we see that happening. Well, and there's a difference too, I would say, like you go back to Dallas days for, for Jason Garrett, where you'd say, well, behind that offensive line, yeah, run it on first down, go up the gut, get me a handful of yards, right? Like it, it makes sense to build your drives that way because that is your strength uh, on that line. For the Giants, obviously, again, you're, you're trying to do both what makes sense and what should be the plan of attack and then adjusting for what is the current state of things across this roster. What I will say is you go back to last week, I think you did see some more pre-snap motion, especially with the top tight ends rotating from left to right side of the line. You had Ingram in the backfield for stretches. So again, I do think that this is an evolving thing in terms of the playbook for this team as well. Now to your point, I would probably now look in this game and want to see some more RPO options for Daniel Jones. We've now seen in a couple of weeks back to back here that him using his legs is obviously a strength. And we knew that it was. The question is, can you design it in a way? And I understand it from this standpoint, too. If I was behind the curtain here with Joe Judge and this offensive staff, I also understand the idea of, okay, there's a strength here in Daniel Jones and his legs. But we need to make sure that when we put him in these positions to utilize those legs, it's not going to be left or right side of the line is collapsing. And as he wants to get to the edge, he's getting blown up by a defensive lineman. He's getting speared down by a safety. There is, you know, this is about trying to protect him at the same time. And unfortunately, unlike Dallas over previous years, where you had, again, offensive line play, you know that that's solid. You know that you can lean on that. We don't have that just yet right now. So there's a risk reward factor there as well. I think as things move along here, you will see it open up a little bit. You will see the playbook continue to expand. So I'm going to I'm going to hold off here for a minute. There's definitely I'm on the precipice of getting frustrated with Jason Garrett. But as of right now, I just need to see what happens here, because I, I I can't say that them scoring 11 points on average per game is solely based on what the scheme is that they're running. I I, I think it's just about the sum of the parts and where they are right now. And because uh, I'll say too, Patrick Graham having so much success defensively, it's a lot easier to have your scheme and then mix and match, plug and play with different pieces on the defensive side of the ball as opposed to offensively because you can't just rotate in random different offensive line. You know, you're not going, well, I'll start Nick Gates at center for two plays, and then I'll bring in Spencer Pulley for one. You know, those are red flag signals, one, that you don't have an offensive line, and two, that the defense can then key off on what you're looking to do on a given play. My, my simple answer is Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, their coaching staffs, 
have figured out how to incorporate more design plays for them to get out in space. And and to be honest with you, they're far more valuable to their teams than Daniel Jones is. And so while we want to make sure to protect him and, and figure things out, they have clearly figured it out in both Baltimore and Buffalo with those two guys flourishing. One is the MVP from last year. The other one is like top three in the MVP voting for, the, for this year. Offensive line play, though. Again, that's what it comes back to. Both of those teams have solid offensive lines in front of those guys, so that gives them the opportunity. Now, I again, I, I still agree with you that if you get Daniel Jones out on the perimeter and give him some looks at Evan Ingram just running a, a traditional crossing route, and then he can make his choice about running for a handful of yards or dumping off a very easy layoff pass, that's going to help this offensive line. It's going to mitigate some of the risk of having a growing, learning offensive line. So I understand that side of it, but again, when we compare them to other mobile quarterbacks it's like saying well why don't you just Russell Wilson and that guy's got great like well yeah but you know that isn't isn't where Daniel Jones is right now it's not where this offense is right now yeah but but Adam here's the problem for me because we use it as an excuse for everything that we do on offense it's like why don't we get Daniel Jones at a more run pass options well we don't have the offensive line for that okay why don't we drop back and try to stretch the field vertically and get and get wide receivers out open in space oh well, well our offensive line isn't good enough to do that okay well then let's run the ball and have a power run game and establish the run and get yards. Oh, oh, well, we don't have an offensive line to do that. Oh, like, okay, I get it. But, but if we can't throw the ball deep, if we can't get Daniel Jones out in space, we can't run the ball. Like we already know the offensive line is good. Figure something out. There has to be something different that you can try. And until they try that, I'm, I'm going to be frustrated with how things are going. I agree. I, I do agree with you. And I, I, but I'll say it doesn't, you don't have to just say it's the offensive line. You can also say it's a depleted wide receiver core. You can also say it's a depleted, you know, losing your number one best running back in the NFL as your primary weapon in this offense as well. So those things hurt too. And that's again, to bring it back to Garrett and what this offense is doing or not doing now over these next four games, like we just talked about from Wednesday, right? First quarter's done. The first 15 minutes of our season are over. We're into that second quarter of the year. And now how Having lost some of these weapons, now I'll start to look to see what has Jason Garrett been doing during the week and how are we translating that onto the field for what the roster now looks like going forward. Um, listen, there, there's a couple other news and notes that we can get into around this game and expectations specifically about what this Dallas defense has looked like and where maybe we can excel. I will throw out one little caveat footnote here because we're talking offensively. There is also the rumor around trade deadline possibilities, and we highlighted this in the middle of the week around some guys that you might find on the block, allegedly supposedly speculatively golden Tate has been possibly highlighted as a target for the new England Patriots before the trade deadline to bring in and hopefully pair with a Cam Newton who comes back healthy, obviously after the positive test for COVID-19 asymptomatic good for him. Leave it, leave it at that. We don't want players to be unhealthy, no matter if they are our hated Super Bowl rivals. Uh, would that be something that would uh, tantalize you? Would it tickle your taste buds? And do you think that a team like New England, who is very willing to give up assets for something, and they, they feel like they can always recoup those, do you think we can get highest market value for someone like Golden Tate because New England is in a, hey, we really want to have a security blanket weapon in our offense for Newton? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm all for any uh, of you know non cornerstone players and and finding out what their market value is. It you know we're zero and four. This is going to be a tough game. We're ten we we're ten point underdogs against the Cowboys coming in, so people are presuming that we're going to be zero and five. At that mm-hmm. point, everyone needs to be evaluated on the roster. We're building for the future. Get as many assets as you can. 
uh, I'm fine with any any type of pick that we can get for someone like Golden Tate. Fantastic. You're in total agreement with me. Good to know. Uh, now, specifically around the matchup on Sunday for the Giants, we talked about how there's a little bit of dysfunction there on the uh, Dallas side of things for the defense. You mentioned 300 yards given up on the ground. Dallas surrenders 430 yards a game. They surrender 258 passing yards per game, and they're averaging now with a really ugly performance there, 172 yards rushing on the defensive side of the ball. When you think about those numbers, even the uh, even you talk about the 258 there on the passing side of things is still good for 10th worst. They're one of the top or bottom four defenses in the league. Do you think that and where do you think the Giants should go here as far as who's the running back that needs to make the big statement in this game for the Giants? Who's the receiver that can have a big day here? How do they attack a suspect defense early so that you avoid getting into a big hole and having to play from behind something that I think will then lend itself for Dallas to be able to, you know, recover their defensive identity. So this is an interesting matchup outside of it being the Dallas Cowboys because of, you know, what their strengths are, what our strengths are and what their weaknesses are and vice versa. So they are terrible at run defense. The problem is we're last in the league in rushing. Right. Sure, so like, sure, we, sure. you know, if we had a strong <laughs> rushing attack, you, you could sit there and say, we're going to pound that rock and we're going to shove it down their throat until they either stack the box and leave single coverage on the outside. Like they'll have to do something to make adjustments. We don't necessarily have that as an option, which is, is frustrating. You then look at it like we're really good at run defense and their offensive line is so banged up. You know, Frederick retired in the offseason. Lila Collins is on IR. Tyron Smith. It looks like he's not going to play. They, they they are so banged up on the offensive line. Ezekiel Elliott looks like a shell of himself. 3.9 yards to carry on, behind a, just a, a normal offensive line. But they throw the ball well. They mm-hmm. Dak Prescott is is on pace to throw for over 6,000 yards. Like, they have three wide receivers. All three of them would be the number one wide receiver on the New York Giants right now. They, mm-hmm. Their passing attack is tremendous. And yes. we only have one cornerback that can protect against that. So, like, as much as the, the Cowboys haven't looked good, the Giants don't have the type of, of structure right now that I think lends itself to take advantage of the challenges that the Cowboys present. Do you think that on the defensive side of the ball for the New York Giants, you talk about how successful, obviously, they've been to the passing attack uh, with Dak Prescott. Do you anticipate... Patrick Graham trying to utilize some of those zone looks and really maybe taking a look and saying, Hey, defensive front, we need you to try to occupy this offensive line that we can say is at least has taken a little bit of a step back. They're still a strong unit, but they're not the same front five that they were over the last say four or five years. Do you think they try to occupy up front and then utilize a multitude of linebackers and secondary players and say, listen, let's just bubble out here and try to, in a lot of ways. And I know this is going to, probably stick in your craw because I wouldn't be shocked if you see Patrick Graham say, Hey, you know what we want to do? Make them earn their way down the field. Even if it's in seven to 12 yard chunks at a time, let's just not give up the big plays quickly and force them to have to have five to seven, eight minute drives in order to get points on the board, because that's how we keep ourselves competitive and hopefully let the offense keep us in this game, right? We need to keep this game in the twenties. If we're going to be a part of it, it can't be getting up to the late, uh, you know, later twenties, early thirties there in terms of Dallas scoring. So coincidentally, the way that I think the Giants win this game is they force Dak Prescott to throw the ball as much as possible. And I know that sounds crazy. You're like, 
what? He's throwing for 6,000 yards. Like the, the reason why is, well, he's on pace for 6,000 yards and they're one and three and they're an onside kick away from being oh and four, right? Mm-hmm. So like the formula of stopping the run, not letting Zeke Elliott get going and eliminate the time of possession battle from being a struggle. Like every time they throw the ball, there's a risk. It stops the clock. They're not moving the yep. chains, all that different stuff. They've been turning the ball over at, at really costly times for, for their team on offense. For me, it's listen, Dak may throw for 350, 400, 450 against our defense. If we, if we stop the run game and we eliminate the time of possession and we try to manage the clock a little bit more effectively, I think that's our best opportunity to win. Yeah, you want to make them one dimensional, right? Whatever, whatever look that think you think you're best suited to do. And I guess to your point, if you say, hey, where are we weakest in our secondary? So let's not try to shut down the passing attack because that's going to be the harder thing for us to do. Let's excel at locking down the run game where incidentally, I, don't, I, I didn't realize this, but a lot of the kind of out there in the in the Twitter sphere out there in the media is the idea that that a player like Ezekiel Elliott is getting old in a hurry. Are, are you seeing that? Are you seeing the tires kind of run a little bit, a little bit soft there for him? And, and is that not even in this game, but just in general, is that a really telling sign for where he's headed right now? I mean, you hate to say it. Is that also made predictive about what we could be concerned about when it comes to Saquon Barkley? They have really ridden him into the ground there in Dallas over the last handful of years. The carry numbers are high for him. So as I said before, I picked the brain of, of Dallas Cowboy fan Dave Hunter uh, all week this week to try to get some of this insight because I said, man, Zeke Elliott, 3.9 yards a carry. That is not very Zeke-esque. And he's like, well, we, we have a ton of other problems other than Zeke Elliott right now. Um, but it is interesting to think that, you know, he's averaging under four yards a carry. This offensive line is beat up. You know, mm-hmm. they – for years had easily the best offensive line in football. Now they're kind of piecemealing it together and Cowboy fans are feeling the struggle that giant fans have had for years where it's like it's turnstiles. Guys are not being able to handle their assignments and they're not able to get the run game going. I, I do find it interesting. You know, they, they do say that running backs just like kind of fall off a cliff. I think it's more, and this, this was to Dave's point is that people go to Dallas to get the bag and chill. That is like their ultimate goal. Like they go, they get that big contract and then they sit back with the star on on there and they're, you know, loved in the town and they're making all the money. Look at DeMarcus Lawrence, look at Zeke Elliott. They paid both of them. And since they paid both of them, they have not performed well. It's so weird to think about going back to the, you know, to the uh, uh, Troy Aikman days, right? I mean, this is when you had the superstars on that roster. You you know, you're talking about Emmett Smith and and you're talking about the wide receiving core and just being like, you know, look at all the weapons and the talent, but they were so in a good way. I mean, it's as a compliment. They were so ego driven about winning, about wanting to win that that's what fueled them. And it was always worth it. And actually, if you go back to those contracts, I think you actually really lucked out when you had Troy Aikman and he was using Evan Smith so much, the value of those contracts and what you were getting on return was actually done really well by Dallas at the time, but you just don't have that same mentality. It seems like, right. I think Dak probably has that actually, but I don't know if all the pieces around him agree with it. And that's when you, you start to think about, you know, is Dak there for the, for the, long haul you assume so but if i was dak and i really wanted to win i'm you know i might look at my options out there because you know you're going to have suitors for a player like him uh, coming off of what's going to be a monster statistical season well you talk about troy aikman you know it's bad for the dallas cowboys when troy aikman comes out and he's like 
No, I call BS on everything that you guys are saying as a coaching staff. Like they're like, oh, we're yeah. we're like one play away from from being really competitive on defense. One missed assignment, we, we would have been in the game. <laughs> and Troikman's like, well, who are you guys trying to fool? Like usually he's he kind of goes with the Dallas Cowboy message, doesn't want to upset the apple cart with Jerry. And this time he's like, no, call him BS. Not good enough. You guys need to fix whatever's going on there. And so when a legend like Troy Aikman comes out and calls out the team and the coaches and the players, you know, things are in turmoil in Dallas. And listen, it'll be interesting to watch on Sunday because again, going back to it, close game there could have lost it on the onside kick against the Falcons, but they have played the Rams, the Falcons, the Seahawks and the Browns. Now there's two sides of this coin. None of those defenses are particularly strong. Rams would be the strongest one. They lost that game 20 to 17 early. So you can look at that and say, hey, better defensive play. You can control this offense a little bit. And then the flip side of it would be if you want to go concerning from a giant standpoint, obviously all of those teams are strong offensively, especially the Falcons, especially Seattle, even the Browns in week four. By that point, they have, they've really turned things around a bit. So surrendering as many points as they have, those numbers can get skewed a little bit. I think that for us, it's going to fall somewhere in the middle, trending on the lower side, but there's opportunities here. I think that this can still be a really competitive game come Sunday, hopefully for the sake of big blue. That my friends, we'll wrap up a Friday edition of the OGP, where, of course, as always, we remind you to follow us at One Giant Podcast on social media. You can head over to Sportscaster, where we stream this thing live. We'll come back in on Sunday with our official game predictions. Hopefully, this is the beginning of the second quarter of our season and in a divisional matchup, an opportunity for us, by the way, to get right back into the mix for the division lead in what is a powerhouse NFC East division. And as Andy Makowitz wants, needs, demands that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue. Thanks.